Hello everybody and welcome to Brubagoon. You will not get there only on a bike. Yes, because today you're gonna need some more means of transport. Yo people, I'm so excited today and I just can't hide it. So excited, and I just can't hide it. Because the guest of today is just crazy. Stick in and you're gonna really hear a lot of cool things. And also for the pleasure of your kind of busy years, this time for the last episode of the year, it's not gonna be that long. Stick here, you're gonna know more. People, by the way, did you notice that now on Spotify podcast you can also rate it? Well, it's a good time, not only on Apple Podcasts, but also on Spotify, to put a five star, also two or three or whatever, on this broom wagon. It's pretty easy, you just go there, subscribe if you didn't, and then rate it. And if you are going to do that on Apple Podcasts, you can also put a comment there, it's more than appreciated. If you don't like the podcast though, just give me a comment or a feedback, it's super easy. Just, I would say that DMs on Instagram are the best. CC. that's my handle on the Instagram. Remember, the COVID jar all the time that people are gonna mention, or myself. COVID, I'm gonna put one Swiss franc that is gonna end up at the end to buy Kigi, the amazing NGO that teaches to people, basically women, refugee women in Berlin, how to ride the bike. You need to be part of it. And if you want to be part by yourself with an amazing Christmas presence, down here you will find as well the link to do it by yourself under the name of the broom wagon. Please do it. It's pretty, pretty important. And this year again, Komoot is on our side for all our exploration. Go down here and if you write komoot.com slash G and then you put the code BROOM, you will know that actually you can get an extra geo area in your account. And that's super cool because then you can do everything related to turn-by-turn navigation, unblocking a new region. It's super cool. And remember, riding in winter, it's just amazing. Plan your route, try not to get too much snow on your head, but even if there is snow, remember that you can go out and prepare a coffee for yourself and keep warm. It's super cool. And with Komoot, it's even cooler. What else? The episode of today, talking about Komoot, I think he's an ambassador for Komoot as well. Today I will talk with Jonas Deichmann, hopefully I pronounce his name correctly, the guy that made a good bunch of Iron Man's all in one section. Sorry, in one session, the section were different. Only in one sessions, just by circumnavigating the world via cycling, that's the most, then swimming. You will hear some words like swim packing here, and that's just, I don't know, it blows my mind. And as well, running. He ran from uh, the Pacific side until the Atlantic side of the ocean in Mexico. Sorry, of Mexico. Uh, the voice that you heard, it, it was Camilo, is here on my chest. Uh, so he actually ran from the Pacific side until the Atlantic side of Mexico. And then he went back to Europe and from Portugal riding in, until Munich. People, I'm super excited and you need to listen to him. I think that today I, uh, I will be talking with the person... So I've never talked with one person that swam so much in a single session. What do you think, Jonas? Hi, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I mean, this is a cycling <laughs> podcast and I'm a cyclist usually. 
but now I, I got the idea of uh, last year of, of doing something else and I swam uh, way too much for a lifetime, uh, 460 kilometers in, in two months. I'm not sure if anyone here can top this. No, no, no. Actually, you double up basically the the previous record, right? It was around 200 kilometers. You made two and a half times it. Exactly, exactly. It was uh, like a little side effect of my my, my project around the world uh, was also the the record for the the longest ever uh, swim packing journey. And um, I can only say so much. Um, it was a great experience, but my swimming career is over. <laughs> Okay, okay, we got it, we got it. So just uh, apart from the intro, yeah, I'm talking today, I'm going to misspell your name and surname super quickly. I'm talking today with Jonas Deichmann. So basically a person that a couple of weeks ago just finished his uh, triathlon around the world. It was in total, let me check, I have the numbers here, around 17,000 kilometers, right? How much, how many kilometers? Um, I did 120 times the Ironman distance, so I swam 460k, I cycled a bit more than 21,000, and I ran 120 marathons. Perfect. From Munich to Munich. Exactly. <laughs> That's super great. And, but also at the moment, you're also, let's say, part of a huge marathon. I think that since when you arrived, you just had a quick stop to the barber shop. You look sharp, by the way. And, uh, and then after that, you have been guesting in TV, interviews, podcasts, and also events since then. Basically, you are in a quite, let's say, tighter schedule for interviews more than you were actually for running or swimming or everything, right? Yeah, honestly, running a marathon is, is pretty easy compared to the, the media marathon I'm having at the moment. Um, it all started basically when I when I ran across Mexico. It got super crazy. There was um, the street dog uh, La Coqueta that followed me for for 130k, and um, that story made it into national news. So she became Mexico's most famous dog, and I became uh, the German Forrest Gump um, that day. And it was national news all over Mexico, and then it's, it now also arrived in Germany when I when I got here. And since then, I'm I'm basically having now two weeks where I'm like nonstop traveling from one city to another, to one talk show to another. Uh, it's super exciting times, but uh, also actually very I'm, I'm very tired now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's start from here. Can you give us a little intro about you? Maybe I can say a couple of things. You are basically a, so you an author of books. Uh, you are an adventurer, first of all, mostly a cyclist. Also, for this reason, you're here. Um, and you did amazing projects. This one was the last one. But before you did From Cape to Cape on the bike, um, uh, you, uh, how is it called? Eurasian trip on the bike. I mean, you're kind of skilled in this thing. But tell us more about us. About you, sorry. Yeah, so, so I'm from Germany and all my life I was a cyclist. So I was doing racing when I was uh, younger. And uh, when I went to university, I had this idea of, of going around the world on a bike, but it was classical uh, bike touring. So it wasn't a record or anything. It wasn't fast. It was just poor adventure cycling once around the world. And uh, after that, when I finished university, I got this, this idea of why not combining um, racing and, and adventure. And um, then I started the past four years setting uh, cycling uh, uh, world records, going as, cross, as fast as I can across continents. And the first one was uh, Eurasia from 13,000K from, from Portugal to, to Vladivostok on the Russian Pacific coast. And then 
the year after the Pan America from Alaska to to, to Patagonia, and um, then two years ago, Cape to Cape, 18,000K from North of Norway to Cape Towns of Africa. Um, so it was 250K every day on, on average speed and always unsupported. So I, I, I liked the adventure. So uh, no support vehicle behind. And yeah, then I changed a bit from um, cycling is still my, my big passion. I will always be a cyclist. No, no worries about that. But I yeah. still also wanted to see something else and push myself into a new discipline. So I got this idea of, of doing a triathlon um, around the world, which was my, my last and biggest project. Yeah, I just want to ask you also another thing. This is on the adventure side. How many books did you write, though? Because for sure, the Cape to Cape is now seems like in position number two for the bestsellers of adventure. Of course, the last one is The Limit is Only Me or anything like this. My German is what it is. Uh, it's around the first position. How many books and how, where do you find time also to write books around all this adventure? Yes, so um, currently I'm in a very um, happy situation that... Um, I actually have the two most successful cycling books in, in Germany. Uh, the number one, uh, the triathlon um, around the world story. Um, the limit is just me. It's already out in German, but it's, it's actually also coming out in English uh, in spring. Oh, that's amazing. And that's what I wanted to ask you. That's lovely. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. In spring, they're already translating. That's great. And uh, that is uh, the bestseller uh, number one in, uh, in the cycling books and uh, in Germany. And number two is uh, Cape to Cape, the story of the... In my past adventure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as I would say, where do you find time to write? You usually write your books after the adventures or during? Yeah, I always uh, I write them during the adventures, but I get a little bit of help. So uh, now the the limit is just me book. Um, I send like once a week um, a voice message, a few minutes, what happened this week and tell my story. Yeah. And then once a month I, I talk via Zoom, via Skype with with someone from the publisher and then they came also to Mexico uh, and so I got a little bit of help uh, writing the book that it's um, so it's already ready now and um, an expert has done it <laughs> <laughs> such a dream man going out for adventure and sending out voice memos to people uh, that are gonna write everything I love to write as well but probably I like more to talk and to send voice memo this would be my dream uh, but, but uh, yeah, no, that's uh, super amazing and super great. Uh, let's start from the triathlon around the world, right? So basically everything started in 2020, but when the idea started, what came into your mind? Well, from where the, the, the ideas sprang? I remember very, very clearly the, the moment when I for the first time got this idea of the triathlon around the world. And that was actually during my past project, uh, Cape to Cape. Uh, I was in the Sahara Desert uh, cycling across Africa. And I had food poisoning, was feeling like absolutely miserable. The Sahara is a horrible place for having food poisoning. It's, it's hell. But at that point, I thought, as always, yeah, now I'm feeling bad. But in the end, this is a fantastic adventure. I'm having so much fun and everything. And um, I need a new challenge afterwards. And I felt that... I wanted to, to push myself to something else. To, to, I had done cycling expeditions the past three years and I wanted to, to experience something new, something I haven't done before. And I always had a stream of going around the world. I mean, this is the logical if you're an adventurer. And um, that when, I came, when I got the idea, why not doing a triathlon around the world? And that was in 2019, around um, a year before I set off. And everything else afterwards was, was preparation. I did, I mean, I, I wasn't a swimmer, I had to learn swimming, 
And uh, running also with a trailer, something else. So I, I, I got to, to car tires and I put them around my, my waist and I pulled them up to the mountains running uh, in Switzerland. So that gave some quite funny um, uh, situations with the locals. And, um, yeah, and finding the equipment, the gear, the logistics behind that is, is really difficult. And the end of the day, a bit because of COVID, of course. And uh, in September last year... Sorry if I interrupt you, uh, Jonas. When we say COVID, I'm dropping a coin in my COVID jar. It's a charity thing that I do. Because in this way, we are talking about COVID because we need it. But on the other side, we are giving also some support to somebody because COVID a bit tired us. By the way, I just booked my booster and that's super great. And actually, all the money that I'm going to collect for the full year, they're going to go to Baikigi. That is a charity in Berlin and they are teaching to women, refugee women to learn how to ride a bike. Sorry if I say that, but the first time I did actually to mention that. So we know that all the time that you or I are mentioning COVID, one Swiss franc is going to go to the COVID jar. We are at one. Thank you, man, for mentioning okay, it. Okay, that's, that's perfect. Yeah. Great <laughs> <Sorry>. initiative. <laughs> yeah. So you got postponed because of COVID, you were saying. Exactly, exactly. I mean, it is, a, it is an important part of the story in the end because yeah. uh, one of my biggest challenges during that project was not the physical one, not the adventure, but dealing with closed borders. Oof, yeah. um, because I'm probably the the only cyclist or triathlete that triathlete for sure that uh, went around the world during the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, that's uh, that's super great. But yeah, everything then the idea started in 2019. You wanted to do something different. You really wanted to jump into the cold water, let's say, of this thing jump into the cold water of the unknown because as you were saying i think so you said that you'd never really swam so actually this was a thing that you need to learn at least how to do it for 460 kilometers uh, and then you had also to adapt your equipment on putting the trailer on your on your waist to uh, to run up to the mountains and down and uh, yeah that's actually a super great thing a super great attitude of you learning something new apart from cycling but this actually meant i think starting from the training a lot of training i remember that i saw some of your images uh, training or adapting your equipment but also there was these amazing images of you going to the um, uh, deutsch Bahnhof center to testing your equipment for winter it was a lot of training in different stuff Physical is probably the easiest, right? Because you're training your, uh, yeah, your body most of the time. But everything else, how difficult it was. I remember the, the, the German train company, Deutsche Bahn, they have um, in, in northern Germany, they have um, a big, uh, big, big lap. It's like 25 meters. And they usually put in their, their trains to test them on extreme conditions. And that was around three months, two months before I set off. And originally, I mean, before the pandemic, I had planned a southern route that goes from Turkey for cycling across Iran, Pakistan and India. But um, that was in summer last year after the first wave. And I already know that um, the borders may be closed and I made up and going across Siberia in winter. So that's why I went to, this, uh, to the lab and um, it's minus 24 degrees inside. And uh, I was on the home trainer for a few hours. And they even had like a, a snow machine and a wind machine and everything and a lot of ice and everything. So I was basically in a proper Siberian winter storm um, in there that we were simulating. Because um, not only to test myself and, my, and my, uh, my clothes and everything, most importantly actually what is with the bike? What is with, um, I talked with my sponsors and most of them actually told me 
we don't know what's happening with the gear at minus 25 degrees because our market is Western Europe or the US and we don't have these temperatures. <laughs> and of uh, so in the end, even like like Wahoo, for example, and and, and Supernova, they even went with me to the to the to the lab uh, to see how they're how they're uh, what is happening with the with the battery. Is it still working or is it like a, like your phone that that just turns off when it's cold? And uh, it was surprising that it actually worked. I mean, my 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 Wahoo and also my my Supernova uh, lamps, they were there was a, big, a lot of ice over them, but they were still on. They were That's still right. running. Um, but this were, were things, also the power bank and everything, were things I simply didn't know what's going to happen. The same tubeless, it doesn't work uh, below minus 23, 24 degrees. Mm -hmm. Because everything gets frozen, right? Exactly. Uh, but the worst is actually the, the chain and the whole uh, setup of the chain. Because um, at that point, at that temperatures, it simply freezes. And I had actually, in, in when I was in Siberia, I had a few times where um, where my chain was completely frozen. I couldn't pedal anymore, so I had to pee on it. That's uh, the that's only an thing amazing story. Exactly, I actually mentioned also in my notes. How do do you realize that? Because I think you are sleeping uh, in your tent. You just check, and outside the temperature it's super low. Then you go out and you see, ah, okay, this is not gonna work. And then you pee on it, or you realize it while you're riding the bike. So you're riding your bike and said, okay, the chain is not chaining anymore. Let's do something. Um, when I'm, I mean, it usually happens when there is also some humidity. Mm. So it doesn't happen at the at the lowest temperatures. It more happens when there is a chain, uh, a change in temperatures. And um, when I'm riding the bike, bike, and I know this could happen, I simply always change, uh, continuously change the chain. So all, every minute, I will want to change the gear, ah, okay. so that it doesn't even start freezing. It, it mostly happens if I'm quickly going into the restaurant and then I go back and my chain is frozen. Or in the morning I wake up and it's frozen. And uh, then you just pee on it. It's the only way to defreeze it. I have to ask you a really, really, let's say, uh, complicated question, but not so much. After you pee on your chain, you need to lube it as well or it's okay? It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, the important thing is that you quickly start pedaling, otherwise okay. it will freeze again. Okay. So you have to put back your bib on, so pants on, back again, jump on the bike and start riding. Yes. So staying hydrated in, in the cold is super important. That's true. So you always can pee because it, it sometimes simply happens. But how did that, did it work? Yeah, talking about that and going not into the pee topic, even if I love toilet talking, but going into the hydration topic. So you need to drink pretty often, but at minus 25 degrees, how can you keep the water at above freezing temperature so you can drink? Um, first, I had like a thermo uh, bottle. And it works also at that extreme temperature. Uh, when I was in, in the restaurant, also, I very often also put in uh, hot tea. Oh, I yeah. asked them to put in tea. And as long as I'm cycling, it does work for a few hours. If you leave it overnight uh, outside your tent, of course, the next morning it's frozen. But uh, in, at night, I put it inside the tent or in my, inside my sleeping bag, and it's fine. Okay, okay, okay. Maybe let's stay here before going in, uh, in, the other in another direction, even if I want to also come back to the start, but let's stay there. Logistically, because anyways, I think that when you were probably still in Europe, it was fine. But I'm thinking that, for example, uh, when you were swimming, so you were swimming for 460 kilometers, you are unsupported. So this means that you have to provide for your own food, you have to go out of the water, finding stuff and blah, blah, blah. And then 
uh, when you are in Siberia, I think it's a pretty remote country, so you can, space of the world, it's not the country, it's Russia, but actually also there trying to find resupply, restock and whatever was pretty complicated, while in Mexico probably it was better, even if we have to consider that you run through the desert as well. So how was how of a nightmare was logistically to arrange the food, the sleeping situation when you were in extreme condition, like uh, swimming for 460 kilometers, cycling through um, the Siberia, or running into a desert in in Mexico? By far the worst was during the swimming, because <laughs> okay. uh, cycling and running, yeah, in Siberia distances can be quite long. Uh, at least in the western part, there will be a restaurant all 100k or something like that. Uh, in the eastern Siberia, the distances can be a bit longer, but there will still be something. And the same for the running leg. Um, but the best about those two disciplines is that you can plan, because um, on the bike, even if there's a headwind or something like that, you can you can still you still know. Well, I will cycle something between 200 and 250 k today, and, mm. and you will make that. Mm -hmm. uh, so you always get to the next point in the water. If the current changes or if the wind comes from the front, there are days where you simply don't progress at all. It's impossible to, to swim against the current if it's strong. Mm -hmm. So you're just very, very slow and very, very exposed to, to changes. And I didn't have a lot of space uh, in my raft. So sometimes, usually I was like looking, okay, now I'm here in, this, in the harbor and there's a supermarket. Uh, I checked, okay, where's the next one? Ah, it's 20k ahead. So I should be there in two days. And then I bought food for two days. And then I start swimming. The weather conditions change. And it takes me three days. So I'm hungry. Mm -hmm. Also because there is a limit as well. Okay, you had your dry bag with you and you were swimming with it attached to your body. But there is a limit of things that you can carry. And probably the limit is even bigger when swimming because you don't want something that drags you away. Uh, much, much bigger. I mean, the pulling, I'm, I'm not, a, anyway, I'm not a good swimmer. And, and now I was, uh, not a pro swimmer, like on, on cycling. And now I was pulling this raft, which just pulls you back all the time. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even have a tent with me because of the weight. There was simply no space for it. So um, not only the food, also finding sleeping spots. Didn't have a tent. And you're just very, very slow on the bike. If it gets dark, well, you're cycling another 10K and you will always find it a place to sleep, always. And uh, if you're not like really in a big city. And swimming, well, if, it's, if I know in half an hour sunset, well, then I swim 1K. And if this is a, is a coast with, with rocks and everything, maybe there is no place to sleep on that 1K. And then I end up in, in the dark or I end up on some rocks for the night. So uh, swim packing... It's a pretty, pretty uh, good way to have an, an absolutely horrible time because uh, not only in the water, also off the water, uh, it's simply tough, super, super tough because of logistics. Yeah. Uh, actually, uh, I love this word. You said uh, swim packing. Do you think you are in kind of the pioneer of this activity or you heard the red or talk with somebody who is doing it? Um, I actually talked with one person before, Sean Conway who actually had the record for the longest swim packing journey before me. He swam uh, a bit more than 200k on the, on the, the coast of England yeah. a few years ago. And apart from that, I, I know there is an Italian guy in Sardinia who does like day trips or like, or, or like weekend trips, uh, swim packing, and apparently also a few guys in Scotland, but it's, it's very, very niche. There are probably just a handful of people that, that do longer swim packing journeys. And... Nobody, apart from Sean and me, as far as I know at least, did, 
um, like really travel over over longer distances. So it's a very very niche um, area. And I talked with Sean before, um, and he told me, um, yeah, swimming is great. Uh, this is like how you build your raft and everything. And then um, day one, in, when I was in the water, he, he wrote me a WhatsApp and saying, hey, Jonas, did I actually tell you that swim packing really sucks? <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> great. Yeah. But it's good because I would actually have said, done exactly the same because um, yeah. once I'm already in the water, I'm motivated to finish and I will do it. If he would have told me before, like, Swim packing really sucks and I'm not a swimmer. This would be very demotivating. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that because it seems like this was probably maybe not the most intense, but for sure the thing that actually because actually your experience, you had less experience in swimming for long distances. Not so many people have a lot of experience in swimming for some uh, for uh, long distances. But did you find yourself in a situation where you said, I want to quit? That's not for me. Really, this swimming thing sucks. I'm going to wrap everything up and then I'm going to start uh, running again or cycling again or start running or whatever. No, I never on the entire expedition had a single second where I thought it just wasn't an option. Yeah, I had so many super tough moments, especially during the swimming. Yeah, tell us about that. Um, yes, so for me, I mean, I had open rounds. The, the jellyfish was stung in my face. I was constantly... When the weather was bad, I was just swallowing water all the time. Mm. Uh, the sleeping spots, I had, yeah, it was horrible, actually, quite a lot of the time. And I remember my worst moment was the big crossing. I um, I was usually swimming along the shore, but sometimes I had to cross over to an peninsula. Uh, it can be six, seven, eight kilometers of open water. And this is, like, way out of the comfort zone. Um, and I found myself at the at first big crossing. I miscalculated the time, and, and I thought myself in the dark. Uh, like three or four k off the coast, alone in the in the sea, Ooh. it's pitch black. Uh, so this is like I could always see the shadows of the mountains in the distance, so I know this is the right direction. But you cannot um, really estimate the distance from the water in the dark. So I didn't know is am I getting actually getting closer or is the current pulling me back? And you also, of course, I mean I'm a rational person, so I googled before the shark attacks in the Mediterranean and. Uh, there were that 10 deadly shark attacks in the world, mostly in Australia, of course, and in Africa. Yeah. Mediterranean, it happens like all 20 years. So uh, this wasn't a risk, but I still wonder, of course, um, there's a few hundred meters of dark water below you. Uh, what's down there? So, you know, it's like just a very, very uncomfortable situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But how, I mean, there was any safety net for you in this kind of situation? If something would have happened there that you cannot reach the shore or everything, there was somebody that would know it and somebody could rescue you or game over? Well, I was, um, of course, I had a, a feud and I had my raft, so both stays on the top. So I could, with my red suit um, on my belly, lie over the raft and I wouldn't go down. Mm. So I, I really couldn't go down. I could always float. Okay. And um, I did have a GPS tracker. Uh, and my dad, when I did the, the crossing, I always told my dad, uh, well, now I'm going for the crossing. Um, if I'm not riding you in four hours, then uh, something bad happened. Um, and uh, so he was always observing the, the tracker and was waiting for my sig signal, I'm on the other side. Mm -hmm. And uh, if something happened, he would probably have called the, the Coast Guard. But will they find me in the water? Because the GPS tracker is, of course, not... If it turns around in the raft, it may not be accurate, so uh, you don't know. 
Um, I had one situation where I, I got into a current also, uh, super strong, and it was pulling me out. Um, so I was already thinking, oh, no, I'm going to Italy. Um, um, <laughs> oh, damn it. Uh, damn it, exactly. So that was a, a pretty scary moment when you, when you, when you notice you, you, you are crossing the Adriatic. But I, I swam out of the current on the side, and then I got back to shore. Yeah. Well, I have the last question about the swimming, yes, because I'm a swimmer myself. So, I mean, when I was a kid, I was uh, swimming kind of not pro level but you know yeah, I was training for doing it and actually my distance were the long distances for me I was actually uh, long distances I mean for normal people and in the pool so I was swimming 1500 meters and it can take a while especially when you're a kid and stuff and the thing that I was doing while I was down the water because I like to talk I was telling myself stories I mean, I was repeating stories in my head, or I was singing, or I was thinking about stuff that happened to me the day before. I would do, I would I do uh, differently and stuff. So these were the things that I was keeping motivated. But for me, it was easier, right? Because uh, the Olympic uh, pool is 50 meters. So you always need to be concentrated, touch and come back and blah, blah, blah. But it's a long time in the water. For you, it was even longer. How did you keep yourself motivated on continuing or also entertained? This is... Actually, I've, I talked a lot about the, the misery of swim packing, the physical misery and everything, mm. but the mental misery is even worse because cycling is just so amazing and wonderful and, and running too because you always see something nice. You climb up a mountain and the landscape and everything is just beautiful. When you're swimming and you're not really directly, directly at the coast, there's nothing to see. There's just water and a bit of plastic garbage and so on, but there's usually just water. And uh, this for hours. So it's mentally super, super tough. Um, I was always thinking about, well, about life and distract myself and the most important thing, small targets. So in my mind, I wasn't thinking, oh, this, this is really boring and I have 400k more to swim. So this wouldn't be motivating. In my mind, I always swam to the next, to the next walk. So, yeah, over there in 1K, there is a rock. That's where I swim. And when I reach it, then I, I, I take a, a Snickers, a chocolate bar for my raft, and then I'm happy again. So uh, I had very, very small targets. And that's crucial because you need to, to see the finish line long before you're actually there. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. But I can feel actually that can be super complicated, but you're completely right. Set small targets super easy and give yourself the words. I think that actually this is always the, the right thing to do. Um, let's go. So actually you started cycling from Munich, you arrived in Croatia, you started swimming, then you started again in Dubrovnik, right? You started again cycling until Turkey and then it starts again probably the longer leg, it started the longer leg with the bike and then the running and stuff. Let's move a bit on the unknown stuff because the cycling thing, we talked about that, peeing on the chain, super nice and blah, blah, blah. But you were stuck in Turkey also for some weeks because of visa thing. That's another thing that challenged you a lot, right? That was, for me, actually the most uh, difficult part of the entire journey because I, we talked now a lot about the, um, the misery of and the challenges of swimming. And I mean, cycling in Siberia in winter, there are also quite some days that aren't that much fun um, when you get in the snowstorm or, or things like this. But it was still always depending on me. I always know if I push, push through this, I will eventually make it. 
And when I was stuck in Turkey because the borders were closed, there was very little I could do about it. I was depending on others. And uh, that is a very, very difficult situation. So, so mentally to accept that, that, that I, I cannot do anything. Uh, super difficult. And I was uh, seven weeks stuck in Turkey. Seven? Oh, wow. Yes, because all Asian borders were closed. It was the, the second wave of the pandemic. And... The coin is in. It is, story. <laughs> it is coin is in. The coin is in. And um, then I, um, I finally got a special permit uh, with a lot of personal contacts and vitamin B uh, to enter, uh, to cross Russia. And I cycled back via, via Eastern Europe and Ukraine. And then in March, I crossed the Ukrainian-Russian border. Also a pretty interesting experience because um, the borders were closed. So the Russian border guards, they haven't seen anybody apart from Russian truck drivers who were the only ones who could cross that border for like a year. Mm. And now there was this German cyclist um, in the middle, of, like at 9 p.m. In, at minus 15, there was a German cyclist uh, coming to the border and saying, hello, guys, <laughs> uh, I want to cross here now. Um, so the reaction were pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's great. Then, uh, continue on that, you cycle across Siberia, uh, you arrived in Vladivostok, uh, where the Trans-Siberian ends, by the way, and there you were planning to get a boat, but you could not, so you have to flew through Tokyo, and instead of going to US, you had to go to Mexico, right? And this was actually another changing of your plan. How happy were you of going to Mexico before and how happy at the end of your Mexico run then of having to make this change of a plan. That was um, sometimes bad things can be good things. Yeah. And uh, for me, Mexico was the the best thing that ever happened. Uh, I had really planned to to run across the US because Forrest Gump was always my favorite film and um, like the the landscapes and everything. I really wanted to run to do to US and now I couldn't get in. And uh, Mexico was actually the only country that let me in where I could cross from Pacific to Atlantic uh, on a reasonable distance. And um, in the end, it was the best adventure I ever had running across Mexico. So actually, you are saying that was the only country that was allowing you to go from Pacific to Atlantic on a reasonable length. Because the other one was Canada or what? It, no, Canada was also close. Okay. Uh, what I meant is... I wanted to run 120 marathons, so that yeah. it adds to the, the right 120 times Ironman distance. And um, I think in Central America, um, there were some countries that let me in, but they are too small. I would be running like 1,000 KMX. And in South America, uh, there were countries that would have let me in, but the land borders were also closed. So I couldn't, for example, run from, from Chile to Buenos Aires mm. or from Peru to Brazil. That wasn't possible. Okay. No, yeah, because I was imagining actually also after the Siberia experience going also to Canada, running through winter would have been interesting. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about Mexico. So you're running there 5,000. It seems like actually this cycling podcast is going in everything apart from cycling, but you're a cyclist and you know that actually the best experience comes in the, own, in the unknown. And for you, running for this length was also an unknown, but actually also running into a country like Mexico is, can be challenging because of uh, everything can, can be there. And actually the altitude is also kind of challenging. And also, I remember that you talked a couple of times also of the perspective of the safety there uh, was also an unknown thing. But these were the things that scared you, let's say, the unknown things from the beginning. But what happened in Mexico? How was it? 
I really didn't know much about uh, about it when I when I set off, and nobody knew me in that country. When I I started running in in Tijuana at the border, there was one other guy there who joined me. Then I was alone. I think I had like four thousand followers in, in from Mexico, all cyclists from Mexico City, and yeah, I first went across the, alone to California, and then over to the to the mainland the first uh, maybe five weeks. And then I met um, Street Dog, uh, La Coqueta, that followed me for 130 days. Uh, yeah. and I first, I first uh, tried to get rid of her, but because, I mean, I was running to Mexico City afterwards, because I wasn't the right guy for her, I mean, you know, and she would get hit by a car. Um, but she waited in front of my tent, she, she waited in front of the supermarket and just followed wherever I went. And then I got into TV and I, I looked for someone to adopt her. And uh, Mexico is just so crazy. She got adopted. She got a big reception from the from the mayor, from the government. They even put a medal around her around her neck and made her a, a honorary member or honorary dog of the community. Like um, a big reception. The national TV came and made a, made a big journal about her, and she became Mexico's most famous dog. Wow. And the next day, I was um, title page in every newspaper and in TV as uh, Forrest Gump Aleman, the, the German Forrest Gump. And then I was never alone again, and Mexico changed completely. From that day on, I was running with first 10, then 20, then sometimes more than 100 people um, running after me. And I got receptions from in every single village from the, uh, from the government. I got police car, uh, escort, and uh, things got, got pretty crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, how was actually the reception of people? Because I think that actually at the beginning you were basically there going by yourself and stuff. Then people got to know you on TV. But what people were telling you, runners or just normal, sorry, like normal people, just runners or people that you met in the villages and stuff, they were telling you, are you crazy? Or they were telling you, that's so cool. So what's, what was the level there? Um, both, but in Mexico, people were just so excited as I have never seen it before. That's lovely. Um, so a lot of people, they saw some kind of message in that. They saw some kind of inspiration. So I got also probably like more than 100 people who joined running that told me, you know, I'm not a runner. I've never run more than 10K and now they run 30 or even the marathon. So it inspired a lot of people to, to also run a bit more. And they were... So incredibly hospital and nice. Um, it was even became a problem that I was, for example, before I was very concerned about Baja California, which is a desert uh, peninsula with stretches that sometimes 100K to the next place where you find water. Mm. And the reality, I thought like, okay, my, my, my trailer will be so heavy, I can't pull it anymore. But I never had more than one or two liters in there. Because I know all the cars, they all stop and cheer me on and give me water, give me food. Oh, wow. And when I later came to, to Oaxaca in the south in, of Mexico, in, in Chiapas, um, it's very poor states. And the people there, they were so nice. They always gave me what I have. Oh, wow. And um, that meant, unfortunately, also when I was, I was running to, a, to an area where they, they grow melons, then they gave me melons, and, and you cannot say no in Mexico. That's very unpolite. So sometimes they, they put like five melons into my, into my trailer. Say, hey, you take this. And um, I mean, five melons. It's like melons for a week, and I have to pull this up the mountains. And uh, then sombreros and T-shirts and food and water and uh, stones even. They gave me some precious stones weighing like five kilos, one. 
So it's super nice, but um, yeah, it doesn't really help me. <laughs> no, that's super amazing. And, uh, yeah, but actually, I was following you on the social media and stuff. It seems like, yeah, the Mexico part, the Mexico leg was probably the most eventful, warm, and uh, cool experience, at least for me to follow, probably also for you to leave, right? Yes, yes. For me, it was the, the best experience ever to, to have this. Are you going back um, here there soon? Are you thinking about that, doing something there again? I will be in Mexico for vacation and some meetings in February. Oh, wait, great. And I'm, I'm actually planning an adventure in Mexico in, in November. Oh, that's great. Can you tell us more about that? Uh, it's, no, it's still top secret, but um, I'm, I got some very... Very good connections in Mexico now, and I just love the country. It's so incredibly. Also, I talk a lot about the people, which are the highlight of Mexico. They are just the culture and the people is incredible, but also the food, the nature, it's simply spectacular. Yeah. Well, uh, November is the new adventure. Whenever you can actually tell us more about that, you know that here you have a seat. So we can talk oh, about you. that. Let's do that. <laughs> I have another couple of questions. I will try to be quick here. Um, the last leg, let's start from, from that. Then you finish in Mexico, you arrived back to Portugal, and you started your stretch back home, or where everything started, in Munich. How did it feel? It's really the part of the trip that you think, okay, now I'm home, now it's almost over, now I just need to enjoy it. How was it? So the swimming and, and, and running leg, that was uh, one stretch for the entire distance. But the cycling leg, to make it around the world, I, I split up in, in sections. So yeah. the main part, um, Europe and Russia. And uh, in the end, I cycled 4,000k from, from Portugal back to, to Munich. And for me, it, it really felt, when I reached Cancun and I finished 120 marathons of running, for me, it felt like now you have made it. Yeah. And, and I wasn't around, around the world yet, but uh, I still had those 4,000K of cycling left. But you have to put it into perspectives. I just won 5,000K of Mexico, to Mexico, and now I'm cycling 4,000K across Western Europe. It, it really is a walk in the park, um, if you put it into perspective. So I was, I was super much enjoying this. I was cycling on, in southern Portugal, then southern Spain and France. I went up more on two. It was really like a, a nice vacation ride home and that's how it felt then now let's put two things in comparison your start in munich 2020 you're arriving in munich 2021 how different was Jonas at the beginning from the beginning to the end well it's a different person my my beard has grown a lot and um, i looked very different i had uh, the best the hardest but also the best uh, of my life uh, with so many experiences I have learned things I mean I, before I was a horrible swimmer and now I could swim and um, I met friends all over the world also from the, the site uh, now I'm everything my followers social media speeches everything quote 10 times uh, in that in that year so also my life has changed because uh, before it was I was managing everything from my phone, from the tent, and it worked fine. And uh, now I actually uh, have, to have to see how I, how I organize everything. Uh, so my dad is now working full-time, and uh, to do to, uh, to my emails and my schedule and everything, each and everything, because it's, it simply has, has become also um, 
also business in the end, um, a pretty a big one in that sense. So um, yeah, my life is very different now. That's why I super, super really appreciate you of taking the time of talking to me today because I think that actually your schedule is pretty full. You are in national TV every every day, if not every second day. You are in a lot of stages and stuff and actually be part of the Broom Wagon for me, that's a great thing. And I have really to thank you a lot. It's, it's a big pleasure also to be, uh, to be a guest here and talk with other cyclists. <laughs> that's great. I want to ask you two more things uh, about your trip and uh, in general. You touched base a bit uh, on this topic um, when we were talking about uh, swimming. You said that actually from time to time you were finding um, some plastic waste and stuff in the water. I think that actually you found this situation a lot and from a sustainability slash ecological point of view. Uh, there was something that actually hit your mind or there was something that you actually noticed that probably the effects of climate changing are really there or how much pollution there is in the world and this kind of thing. There were some stuff that actually touch you on that. There's something that you notice that it's really, it's really something that we need to advocate way more than we are already doing it on there. Because you travel the world basically on your foot, on your action on your foot, on your legs and on your arms. This means experiencing a lot of those things. Um, yes. So what I, I noticed in all, in all the countries, there is, you can find garbage everywhere, really everywhere. In the water when I was swimming, I actually saw more garbage than, than fish. Oh, shit. And uh, on the ground in the Adriatic, Croatia isn't a very dirty country. I, I'm sure it's the same in, in the other countries around. But uh, you see everything from refrigerators to car tires to beer bottles to, to plastic garbage. There's everything on the ground, everything. And it's not different when you are cycling or running somewhere. Um, next to the road, you will always find something. So, yeah, that's, that's pretty, pretty sad uh, when you see that. And also something what I noticed now with this topic we, we don't want to talk about, um, it is so present everywhere that other things are simply forgotten. Mm. And this is the best example for that is um, tests. They are all of, out of, made of plastic and you have to do it everywhere. Um, when I was in a lot of countries, I was in Mexico, I could go to restaurants in Russia, but in other countries where I was traveling, the restaurants were closed. The only thing I could do was uh, takeaway. Yeah. And takeaway is a lot of plastic. Uh, so this is something... Of course, I understand that the short-term people's life matters, and that's everything that's, that's the most important thing. But uh, I would really wish that the climate change gets the same attention, because um, yeah, there's one thing where politics does everything, really everything, to, to work against, uh, to, make, to solve the challenge. And climate change is there for years, and we know this will be the next big, 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 big problem we have, or it already is the next, next big problem we have, and um, there isn't really much or enough done against it. Yeah, also because on the other side, we're talking about climate change, and you think, okay, two degrees changing or whatever, it seems super abstract, but then you see stuff like... Um, refugee migration and stuff. This is also a fact of the climate change. Or we're talking about also pandemics and stuff. That's all, everything is related. Or big storms. There was one in Kentucky, for example, last week. All this kind of thing. It's everything related. It's really there. It's really tangible. And when you're talking about garbage and tires into the water, into the sea, that's even more tangible. And that's great to talk about that. 
it is it is super important. Um, actually, also something um, I I wanted to do this completely CO two neutral my expedition. So the plan was originally to to sail across the oceans, or mm. otherwise at least take a cargo ship. And I, in the end, I had to fly. Um, I really tried everything, and it just wasn't possible. Uh, also because the ships couldn't take me. It was forbidden because of um, the situation. And um, that is simply something, yeah, it makes it again really big in your mind that that climate change is not a priority. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, if it's easier to take a flight to go from the other side of the world instead of a boat and should be the other way around because it should be cheaper taking a boat or a cargo boat and stuff, it says a lot of stuff. But the thing that actually you send out with your triathlon is there is a different way. I mean, there is a different way to travel the world. There is a different way to meet people. There is a different way of doing things. This actually should be an inspiration for everybody who is also producing takeaway bags for, for food. It's not only plastic there or way of traveling. There's, there's one thing. Actually, of course, I also collected money for, for charity and yeah. for, for children in Africa and everything. But the, the best thing everyone also who listens here in the, in the podcast can do because I hope that cyclists travel also a bit is wherever I am I never take the plastic the plastic uh, bag when I go to a, to a shop I bring my my backpack yeah. and um, when I'm in Mexico and other countries where the, the culture isn't there yet the education that plastic is bad um, I go there and I say in the supermarket no I, I don't want a plastic bag it's not good and if you say that to 100 people and just one changes, then uh, you have made a difference. And um, so it's this is something everyone can do, like the small things in life, uh, like behavior change. And, and that's the start. That's yeah. super important. Leading by the example. Yes. That's always the thing. Talking about leading by the example, um, I just want to ask you the last thing, even if we talked a bit about the human parts and this is something that I would go deep on, but we are already there. So leading by the example, what actually do you think is the biggest takeaway that you can share with people after this amazing adventure, the biggest adventure of your life that was already full of adventure? So we're talking about a huge scale of adventure. What's the biggest takeaway that you can actually tell to people and they can just really start changing their life from that? The past few years, but I always say 95% is mindset. Um, I, I'm not the fastest cyclist, um, I, but I have a strong mind and I always push further. And I always heard over the past few years, yeah, but you tell me you can do it, but you are a cyclist, you have done it all your life. And now I can say, well, that's true, but I wasn't a swimmer and I wasn't a runner. And I swam 460 kilometers with no experience at all, because in the end, I simply wanted it bad enough and I believed I can do it. And uh, this is the message I, I have. Um, the hardest thing is always to get to the starting line. The hardest thing is to, to have the courage to, to follow your dream and, and just do it. So everyone, I mean, here we are cyclists. So I, I believe there will be some people listening that, that want to do a big cycling journey and they, they haven't done it before. And they, they may, may not know, can I actually do it? What do I need and everything? Is it dangerous? Should I prepare better? And my answer to that is, uh, no, it's actually not that, that difficult. The, difficult. the most difficult thing is to just do it and um, it's worth it. So yeah. follow the dream and start now is basically, basically my message because if you really want it, it's, it's not that difficult. That's great. 
I have actually the last question. It's going to take us one minute. Describe me or tell me what was the best piece of food that you got in your full year and a half, yeah, year and a half that you were traveling. Maybe just not the best because it was delicious and stuff, but it was great for that moment. I really somehow enjoyed, I, I somehow really enjoyed the exotic food, like okay. the, the, the experience. It wasn't the most delicious one, exactly, but I really enjoyed the whole experience of eating it. And that were uh, worms. Where was it? Uh, that was in Mexico, in southern Mexico. And I was there with my, there was a film team for, for that week there. Uh, so I was with two friends, basically. And we went to a mezcal tasting, which is like tequila. And then they, they offered us worms. And we were making like a big party out of it. Like every one of us has to eat a worm. And it's not tasty, but it's an unforgettable experience. <laughs> That's great. Uh, thanks a lot for being here talking with us today, Jonas. Maybe where we can find you now around? We talked about the books, but the book about the adventure, you are now in national TV in Germany most of the time. Uh, you are also out in the European Outdoor Film Festival. There's your film there. Tell us more about that, where we can see the film outside of that or where we can find you. So, of course, my, first of all, social media, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Jonas Deichmann. And uh, my book is uh, at the moment available in German, uh, but also coming out in English and Spanish um, very soon. The limit is just me. And uh, currently uh, the film, like a short film, is coming in the, in the European Out of Film Tour. But the long version, like a 90-minute documentary, Vale la Pena, is coming out in, in April into the cinemas um, globally. Oh, wow. And then I'm also having speeches. So um, the information will be on my, on my social media channels and website. That's super amazing. Jonas, thanks a lot for being here with me. Don't leave the call after saying goodbye because I want to say you goodbye quickly yeah. off records. But it was a great pleasure, man, to have you here. And you are such an inspiration. Thank you so much. And the same. And we will soon meet in, in Switzerland for a beer. I actually write this down in my need to do things. We need to meet because Perfect. I really, really would love to experience. Yeah, to share some experience there. Thanks a lot and have a great marathon today. Media Marathon. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Ciao. Well, people, it's exciting, right? I don't know you, but now at the moment, I really can't wait to jump on the first boat, go to Mexico and run with locals. A couple of thousands of marathons, maybe. No, maybe not. The thing that I'm going to do, though, or the thing that I would do, though, if I spoke German more than I do, I would for sure grab one of his books. You know that are in the bike shops not bike shop, book shops. Now two of them, one about his adventure from Cape to Cape and the other one about his triathlon around the world. If you speak German and you live in Germany or also separately, if you live in Germany, I speak a bit of German, probably this is mandatory. And if you speak German, but even if you're not in Germany, remember that you can find this book. Anyways, uh, I read around that it looks like Everything is coming as well. At least the last book is going to come also in English and Spanish in spring. And I can't wait for it. Thanks, Jonas. He told me as well that he's going to come over to Zurich soon for presenting his books. And if you around you better, there is the European... Uh, outdoor Film Festival Tour, I think is the name. Uh, you know that there you will find also his short movie going on. 
please listen to that, watch it. It's just amazing. And I think that anytime soon, also the long version of the film is coming. Thanks a lot, everybody, for listening to that. It's just episode number two, but it's the last one of 2021. Yes, thanks a lot for coming along with me. And that's a great pleasure. And as the pleasure also of supporting BKI uh, by Kigi, uh, the NGO in Berlin teaching women refugees on riding the bike. And thanks to Komoot for supporting all my adventure and also again this one. And also for supporting adventures like the one of Jonas. Thanks a lot really for doing that. Remember, rate, subscribe, do whatever you want in your platform to the Broom Wagon. It's going to give a lot of help for me. Also now that it's possible doing it on Spotify. And if you want to grab me a coffee down here, you will find the coffee uh, link. Feel free to drop a couple of coins so this podcast can become, can still be, not can become, can still be the independent voice that it is. Have a nice end of the year and thanks a lot for coming over. I will talk to you soon.